primary care knowledge boost, pharmacists in primary care. Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we have another one of our lovely chats with the different members of the primary care team. Yes, and as you'll have gathered from the title of the episode, this one's uh, all about pharmacists today. We'll speak to Vishika Rabadia, who's a pharmacist working in primary care for the past year. She gives us insights into the various roles of a pharmacist, both within practice um, in primary care, as well as what the job of a PCN pharmacist is like. She also discusses the training to become a pharmacist and what the supervision and registration side entails. Yeah, so um, you'll hear during our talk that we use quite a few terms that some of you will be familiar with, obviously, um, but just to kind of reiterate up top. <laughs> um, so she uses the term DES, which is the Direct Enhanced Service um, and that's part of the GP contract and how general practice gets some of its money, um, as is the other term that she uses, IIF, which is Investment and Impact Funds. Yep. And you might hear her mention um, SDFs, which are service delivery footprints, and that's quite a Wigan-specific thing. Um, and it refers to areas that are slightly different from what's covered by a PCN or a cluster. Um, it's more of a geographic-based area. Yes. And as we've said many times before, we really enjoy these conversations and we're really hopeful that you'll enjoy them as much as we did as well. Right. So we always start and kick off with introductions. So would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners and give us a little bit of a background about yourself? My name's Vish, or Vishika. I'm the Senior Clinical Pharmacist at Wigan Borough Federated Healthcare. I've done about a year in primary care now. I used to work at Swan Primary Care Network. And before that, it's a predominantly hospital pharmacy background I come from. So it was a big old change for me to move from secondary care to primary care. Yeah. Different change of pace, definitely. I can imagine. Um, so today we are talking all about um, pharmacists as part of our kind of series on the additional roles in primary care. Um, so we thought we'd start with a very broad question, but what is a pharmacist? So you can get pharmacists in, in so many arenas now. Yeah, we're in the new up and coming profession. So you've obviously got hospital pharmacists, which are, was what I was used to. We've got PCN pharmacists. You can also have practice pharmacists. Um, you can have industry pharmacists and we've got community pharmacists like in Boots or Tesco's or independent pharmacies. Um, and then, yeah, you can get pharmacists in different roles. So obviously, we're heavily involved in the vaccinations moment as well and things like that. So there's literally most places you can get a pharmacist now. So, yeah, we do a degree, an M-Pharm, it's called. It's a four-year degree, which is a master's equivalent. Well, it is a master's, it's not equivalent. And then we have to do a pre-registration year, which is a year where we're working. Again, it can be in various sectors. Mine was in hospital. And then at the end of that, we set a pre-reg exam. So between, it's a year between graduating and qualifying. And then once we set that pre-reg exam, we can qualify. And then depending which route you go down, like dictates if you have to do further qualifications and stuff like that. Oh, okay. I'm just interested um, from my own knowledge. So is that exam general? So if you've worked in the kind of hospital for the year, could it have stuff that's related to kind of non-hospital working? Yeah. Um, when I did it, because I'm very old now, uh, we used to have a drug tariff and things like that in there. In a BNS, so we have an open book and a closed book exam. Ah. Um, and then you have calculations we're not allowed to use a calculator for. And there's loads of different bits. So like there's really textbook questions like about air filtration and aseptics. Like when you're making things like chemotherapy and, ah. you know, um, feed it, parental feeding and things like that. Even in hospital, I don't think I really came across it. That's something you have to learn out of a textbook. But for a community, someone who's done community farms, that's just an obscure question. But then like 
as a hospital pharmacist, I wouldn't have been comfortable using the drug tariff. So we, you have to do cross-sector placements, but it's only two weeks. So I just went for two weeks as community pharmacy, didn't really learn how to use a drug tariff. So, but in the open book where my community pharmacist may have been looking in the BNF for like a clinical question, I probably would have been able to answer it because it was day to day for me. Yeah. yeah. But no stone left unturned. Yes. <laughs> Very thorough. And um, we asked Laura, the pharmacy technician, this question as well. But um, if, just from your perspective, what's the difference between a pharmacy technician and a pharmacist? Uh, so as a pharmacist, we're expected to act as a responsible pharmacist. If you're in a community and in a hospital, so if you're in charge of a pharmacy, you're kind of in charge of everything. Um, and we're a little bit more clinical because we have to do a degree where they've got an MBQ. Um, and so we do all that time and degree. We have to go through our torturous pre-reg exam. And then we have the ability to do postgraduate stuff and also become prescribers and things like that. And then do things like advanced practice um, for those who wish to and things like that. But the pathway that we have to do as part of this PCN, the primary care pathway that CPP run, like they're doing clinical skills with the pharmacy technician and things like that. So it's about allowing them to develop. So pharmacy technicians can also check prescriptions, but they can't clinically check them. So they can accuracy check them. So that's been allowed to do. Okay. Before technicians weren't registered, but they are now. So we're both registered with the GPHC. Okay, that's the General Pharmaceutical Council? General Pharmaceutical Council. Lovely. Um, and then can you talk us through about how you became a pharmacist, like the decision and the training? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> probably not a good example. I actually applied to do accounting, but when I was 16, I was working in a community pharmacy, in my local community pharmacy. Yeah. I'd actually done a shift in the morning before I went to collect my results. And I was like, oh, maybe this is a good career move. <laughs> I went through clearing. I went to pharmacy school. So mine was a little bit spontaneous. Yeah. And so I went through and did my M-Farm. Um, I did it in the University of Kent, I'm from London originally, and then I did placements throughout my degree in community and in hospital. I, did, I actually did some in primary care, which was interesting. Um, and then I did my pre-reg year in Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells Hospital, down south, um, and that was um, really good. It exposed me to a lot, and so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so I guess you've mentioned primary care there, and obviously we're very interested in, in primary care specifically. So can you talk us through what the role of a pharmacist would be in the primary care setting? Like, what sort of stuff can they do? What can they be responsible for? Especially thinking about these new roles and, and the additional roles and reimbursement scheme coming in. So you can have a practice pharmacist, which a practice can employ directly. That would be slightly different to what a PCN pharmacist does. The PCN pharmacist will work into the DES, um, and we've got the IIF targets to do because they've got money attached. Uh, we've got the DES specification for structured medication reviews, or SMRs, um, and doing them. And then we've got targeted areas like polypharmacy, care homes, high-risk drugs. More recently, there's gabapentinoids and opioid deprescribing. Mm. Um, and then there's also asthma. That's one of the new targets to be environmentally friendly with the inhalers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it really does bother me because like every time a patient gets an inhaler, like that outside bit, they're just throwing away. It's yeah. like cleaning fluid. They're just throwing away the bottles. Why can't you just give the patient the refill? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a stash, a drawer full of <laughs> old <laughs> old inhalers um, that I need to give back. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. It is it's a bit ludicrous. Yeah. So yeah, so that we do things like that. We can do medication reviews. We, we can work to some cloth stuff. And then there's like the ability to do quality improvement projects as well. So like where we are now at Twiggan Central and North PCN, mm -hmm. we've got like a bit of an opioid problem in certain areas. So we're working a lot with that. 
we've got a lot of care homes attached to our PCN, so a lot of care home reviews. And we've got quite an elderly population who will be on loads of meds. That's quite interesting, actually, that the pizza, the role of a PCN pharmacist would, would be quite specific um, based around those things. But then you've got your practice pharmacist who might be doing whatever the practice needs them to do. If there's practice pharmacists within a PCN and a PCN pharmacist, how do they interact with each other? To complicate matters, at the moment, there's also CCGs. Yes. Um, and they will have pharmacy teams as well. So um, obviously, I'm in my role and I'm there as a senior pharmacist. So at the moment, I'm negotiating with all of them to make sure we're not duplicating work. Because it's quite easily done. Yeah. Like they're all money attached targets, aren't they? And so we're all working to the same thing, but we need to make sure we're not just all reinventing the wheel. So at the moment, our medicines management team are heavily involved with COVID clinics. So they do touch base with practices sometimes. So I just check with them what they're doing. And then the practice pharmacists just make sure that they're not attacking the same thing. So one of our pharmacists has got a hyper polypharmacy clinic, which is essentially the same as our polypharmacy SMRs. So there's no point that pharmacist and that practice from my team, the PCN team needs to work on an SMR on another group of patients. Okay, yeah. Because then the same people keep getting seen and then other people won't. Yeah. So it's just liaising with everyone. Yeah, I was thinking just about how complex it would be and how to make sure, like you said, that people aren't doing the same jobs um, as each other without knowing. But yeah, it's useful. It's useful to understand. I think that um, that the the PCN role is a bit more prescribed and has like specific things that um, the PCN are working towards achieving for targets. So that helps. Yeah, I have to say though, being a PCN pharmacist, especially like in my previous role and somewhat in this job, it's still very new. And so I think historically, pharmacists are very SOP driven. So there's a procedure for this and this is known. Sometimes a PCN pharmacist role is a bit unknown because it's new and like it is always the new things. And I think sometimes pharmacists can struggle with that. Yeah. And so that's something worth bearing in mind when you're recruiting pharmacists. Yeah, the fact that it is a different role from what people might be used to. Yeah. And what so you've mentioned a couple of things about um your your job role in there. What 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 is your career like now? What what's your job like? Um, so currently I I'm the senior pharmacist and this is the first time I've been a senior pharmacist. I don't think anyone could have prepared me for what was coming. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a welcome challenge. It definitely is. I think it was the right move to make at the time I made it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of supporting the um, rest of the team, supporting them in their pathway, like negotiating with people and then making sure they're getting the appropriate training. Because I think it's easily forgotten that this role is actually a training role. Mm. So it's just making sure that someone's driving that forward um, and making sure that they're getting the support they need as well. Because it can be quite isolating because even as a community pharmacist, you can work in isolation, but you've got a team around you. But sometimes as a PCN pharmacist, you're not a practice member of staff but you are but it, it can get a bit complicated and it's just making sure that they are embedded in practice and making sure the relationship is in belt and you're keeping them happy um, and explaining to them that you are still doing practice work it's just not practice work how they view it mm-hmm. so like processing discharge zombies is how they'll view practice work whereas you doing that medication review yes the doctor's doing medication review but pharmacists are a breed of people and we like to check everything to the nth degree. And so the medication reviews and the structured medication reviews we do are quite detailed. But yeah, so we're just making sure like shared care protocol, that's a high risk drug area that's been started by the hospital, making sure that monitoring is being followed and patients aren't slipping through the net and things like that. And doses are appropriate and there isn't a disease drug interaction or a drug drug interaction or anything like that. Pharmacists really are a great um, asset to have to say. Um, prescribing just feels like such a heavy area for 
problems and issues and and near misses so and it is very much a swiss cheese type of situation so yeah the more people that are looking and and concentrating on it yeah so actually having that designated time that it's you know unless your gp is just doing a med review and it's sort of really structured it's easy for things to get less structured (laughs) and less planned yeah and they're like so it's not just the structured medication reviews it's like the quality improvement so in my old job, we did this massive work on DOACs, uh, which are blood thinners, where the guidance was released at the beginning of COVID to take everyone off warfarin where you can. Yeah. There was a big panic to get everyone off the warfarin because the majority of those patients would have been shielding because they'd have an underlying heart condition or they were elderly. But then the monitoring wasn't put in place. So the doses may have been too high, too low. If they're too low, you're increasing the risk of a stroke. And it's too high, you're increasing the risk of a bleed. And it's just like, you know, old people's kidneys do decline and their weight does drop off. Yeah. And they're not the type to ring their GP constantly because they're quite stoic. That's it, yeah. So we did a big project on that because we identified it as an issue pretty quickly. Yeah. And so we did a big project and we put measures in place and we did medication reviews on a very, very high risk one. But I think there was nearly a thousand patients across the surgery. So we couldn't review everyone because there wasn't enough of us. But it's just remembering we can do things like that on a big scale, not just the medication reviews we're doing. Yeah. Oh, it's so important. It makes sense. Yeah. And even just the fact like, because you can do quality improvement projects in your own practice, but again, you're not getting that wider reach. Whereas being able to step back and look at a whole area of practices and say, well, what can we do in this area that'll improve this care? It's, it's really important and it's really good work. So in my current role, it's two relatively large PCNs that kind of come together. And so sometimes that can be a blessing. Sometimes it can be like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when we are doing projects that work, I uh, just think about how many people we're reaching and it's just amazing. Yeah, brilliant. Do you know what I did forget to say? We've got a right little PCN MDT going. So we at Wigan have a really good referral system where we can refer to the physios, they can refer to us, the community link workers if we identify anyone. And social prescribing is one of the IIF for the deads as well so there's money attached so that helps and then we've got all these new roles like mental health practitioners paramedics dietitians they're all coming in and we all just fit in like sort of while we're part of the surgery wrap around them really well as well and we can all refer to each other so actually if they've got a high-risk group of patients all of us will probably need to see them yeah that's amazing yeah it's the way it should work it's really nice yeah and it just works it doesn't we don't feel like really distant people to each other we're all like it is a proper mdt yeah yeah oh excellent oh fab so we have a few quick fire questions for you so these are ones that keep getting asked um particularly in the webinars and things about the hours roles and um, so if you can we'll just fire them out and you can just give us a few bits on each and um, can pharmacists prescribe in primary care and um, so yes but they have to have a prescribing qualification so some pharmacists will already have it like i came into my role with the qualification but some won't so this primary care pathway that we have to be enrolled on as part of the deaths and you know being employed that where i mentioned earlier on two study days a week when you complete that there's a prescribing qualification it takes six months um, and it's 45 hours with a designated sort of supervisor um, and then 45 um, hours with other people. Um, and it's usually one day a week at university and you learn the necessary skills to prescribe. And then once you've got the qualification, you then have to get your annotation on the register amended to say that you're a prescriber. And then you have to contact your local CCG 
to fill in the necessary paperwork. So it's not once the pharmacist has got the qualification, they can prescribe. And then we have an area of competence, and then we can sort of increase that area of competence as we become confident. Oh, okay. And in terms of clinical supervision, thinking both about the pharmacists that are working in primary care and the ones that are working in the PCN, who can supervise those roles? So obviously the DES does specify senior pharmacist supervises one senior for every five. I don't want to call them junior pharmacists, but <laughs> not senior <Non-senior>. pharmacists. <laughs> um, and the pathway advises that you have a clinical supervisor who's a GP who on average spends an hour a month with you. So my pharmacists have two practices each. So I ask that they have a clinical supervisor and then in each practice they have a GP mentor. So usually their clinical supervisor and GP mentor is the same person in one practice. But so that's just someone that they've got as a point of call if there's any issues in that practice. And then some practices work on a duty doctor thing. So do you know if there's a question while they're doing a medication review or they come across any red flags or anything like that? Just some safety netting. So just a point of contact, a clinician as a point of contact in the surgery. Yeah. Great. Uh, and then can pharmacists clinically supervise other clinical specialties in primary care? And if so, which? I mean, as an advanced practitioner, if they go down the advanced practice route, that is something they can do. So generally, we take students on. So uh, we've had PA students, we've had nursing associates, nursing students and things like that. But they can see how we do things. We even have med students. Actually, we even have GP trainers coming to spend time with us. So I know um, I've done the prescribing um, audit, you know, for the ST3s. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've been involved in them in the past. So, yeah, you can do that. So the just so I'm right in my head. So they um f- so the pharmacists in primary care they can supervise students as as anyone really would so that they can observe practice. But they'd have to be an advanced practitioner to supervise other clinical specialties. Yeah. So like we we could like they could spend some time shadowing us, but we couldn't directly supervise an ST three. That would still need to be a doctor. Yeah. Grant. Perfect. Um. And do pharmacists need any special qualifications to work in primary care? So it's generally they ask for primary care experience where possible, but sometimes you have to get your foot in the door before you can get that. And then there's the primary care pathway that we do with CPPE that the majority of pharmacists have to do. You can be exempt from the odd few modules, um, but yeah, so it's um, an 18-month course. And then if you don't have your prescribing, you need to do that. But you do that in hospital and community as well. I was saying you do that alongside, um, you could, once you've started work, you do the um, pathway. Yeah. And then um, thinking about, um, you did mention this earlier, what's involved in the pharmacist professional registration? We're registered with the General Pharmaceutical Council. Um, and then when we get our pre- prescribing qualification, we have to get that annotated. And if you're a superintendent pharmacist for community pharmacy, you get that annotated as well. And we have to revalidate every year. Ah. So um, they've recently changed might have been a couple of years ago now how we do our CPD. So you have to do two planned entries and two unplanned entries, a reflective account, and you have to do a discussion with a colleague. Okay. But that colleague doesn't have to be a pharmacist. It could be a GP or anything like that. Brilliant. Yeah. So like my line manager um, is not clinical. It's a PCN manager. And she's obviously teaching me a lot of management stuff. So I'll be doing my whole entry on discussion with management and I put her down. It doesn't have to be someone clinical for your CPD. Yeah. Sarah, I see you've, you've sneaked in an extra question here. Are we asking this before the end? I was just about to. I was looking through Vish and um, 
like I was saying, it's a really lovely time to have a bit of a chat to somebody who's got so much more information about different things than we have. Um, so I thought I'd just ask you essentially, what would you like to talk about that's um, new or different or something that you're interested in that's a bit of clinical, got a bit of a clinical slant to it um, today? So I by no way... Uh, no means am I an expert on this because I don't have much of a community pharmacy background besides the odd locum shift. But the minor ailment scheme had um, been discontinued and we've now got the CPCS service, which is a community pharmacy consultation service. And that started on November the 1st, where GPs can refer patients for minor illnesses, uh, like a consultation with the community pharmacy, once a local referral pathway has been agreed. So I know that they're trying to create a Manchester-wide generic form. Um, but at the moment, it's not gone live. So we're starting to work on it in Wigan. Um, and it's just an email. So it's an auto consult in our system at our PCN. And it just sends through as an email to the patient's nominated pharmacy. And so it's like when they've got minor illnesses or they need urgent medicines from the community pharmacy. And so the GPs or we can refer or even 111 can refer for like out of hours, urgent supplies and things like that. And we can just, you know, do that and there's loads of training available for pharmacists at the moment that they can go on loads of free webinars and things like that to help them develop their consultation skills and gaining confidence and things like that and identifying red flags so they can also refer back if needed but like also encouraging the patient to self-care where appropriate like buying antihistamines and things like that so yeah it's really useful and um, we're, de- we're in the process of developing it right now but there's the whole service specification and a toolkit and everything available They've really thought it through. It's not one of those schemes that they've just launched and gone off you go. Like they've actually done a good lot of work about it. So RPS, which is our Royal Pharmaceutical Society, have got training on it and CPPE do training on it. There's, there's loads of training available. And then there's training for GPs as well, like the GP referral pathway and, and how pharmacies can claim funding for it and things like that. It's just, I think it will help build bridges. Yeah, I was going to say it'll be about like that nice kind of two way dialogue between community pharmacy and, and general practice. It should be quite nice. Because sometimes it can be very disjointed. And then also, um, what I like about the DES with the PCN is there's lead community pharmacies. Hmm. Um, so obviously we have two because we're Wigan Central and North. Um, and they sometimes come to our meetings, which is really nice. So there's just not a name and an email of someone who I don't know. Like they come and they, do this so like actually one of our community lead pharmacists has got a really good idea and it will help with our follow-up for smr so it's a good idea and she's going a little bit above and beyond but it's just like the patients are going to gain so much from it yeah it's about blood pressures so like we're up titrating them in gp but we need to keep an eye on their heart rate and blood pressure that the pharmacist can do it they're also a pharmacist so they don't have to come back in to see us and tie up one of our appointments. We can do another SMR and refer for a follow-up and things like that. So it's quite good. Yeah, it's using all the resources that you've got available. Yeah, it's just knowing where they are as well. Oh, thanks for that, Bush. Um, so in terms of the um, chat from today, what would you like listeners to take away? I think at the moment, PCN pharmacy is so difficult. There's loads of vacancies coming up and it's so unknown. Even though we're meant to have been enrolled for a year, it's just been sort of treading water and go the blind leading the blind and it's just about patience and um when we do fall into a routine and the procedures are there and things like that i think things are getting better because i already feel like things are very different from a year ago when i started yeah like procedures are being written and people are taking charge and giving direction now yeah and so at the beginning where practices may have been put off because it was just very 
we don't know what we're doing, things are heading in the right direction now. It's just that patience and remembering to support the pharmacist and they will support you and like making them part of the practice and we're all one big happy family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely see there's so much, there's so much use and so much value um, in having, yeah, all the different roles for pharmacists. Yeah, fabulous. So it was lovely to speak to um, Vish there um, and to hear all about the pharmacist role. Uh, What did you take away, Sarah? Yeah, it was absolutely fabulous. Fish is amazing. And she was explaining that she was a little bit reluctant um, to come onto the podcast. And, and we were so happy to talk to her, actually, because it's fabulous to have her as an advocate. I think she's done a very good job. And um, just from her explaining the role, how when she first started in a PCN role, that it wasn't a very defined, well-defined thing, but she's clearly extremely dynamic and actually sort of working out what that role can look like and the sort of realising some of the potentials that pharmacists can bring on a PCN-wide uh, level and also helping then other pharmacists connect in. Um, I just thought it was fabulous from that kind of structural point of view and just how much scope there is to do with with that structure. No, yeah, you're 100% right. Just thinking about the fact that you've got this like PCN pharmacist in the middle and then you've got like your practice pharmacists that can like link in and your community pharmacists that can link in and then your CCG pharmacists and everyone's all talking to each other and everyone's doing good work for the patients. It's just, it's very lovely. I think what I was... um also struck with was just um she had mentioned about um integrating the pharmacists into the the teams in primary care um and it reminded me of the other conversations that we've had with the additional roles um so far and how um there's been a bit of a theme that um it can be quite isolating and it can be quite difficult to come into primary care as some of these roles have never been in there before um and how it's really important for the kind of primary care teams that they're working in to welcome them and to make them feel like they are part of that team um especially at the moment when everyone's morale is so low and I'm assuming that it's exactly the same for all of the additional roles as it has been for general practice so I think that that maybe just struck me that that's a really important thing to take away is to just be welcoming and nice to all these new people that are coming in because it must be quite daunting yeah absolutely yeah um, I love, I, I had to kind of stop because I really want to go into some of the intricacies and the details of some of the work that they're doing, some of the audits that they're doing. Um, and it makes me think, yeah, I should be, it would be really nice to have some of those conversations with the pharmacists that I work with as well. Um, because yeah, it's fabulous work and it's just so important and, you know, for patient safety and, and quality of care. Yeah, they are a great additional member of the team. And I just, again, I'm struck every time about how useful all of these additional roles are and how they all complement each other um, and why haven't they been here all along. And how the, especially when she was talking about the MDT work um, mm. where like where she is and how you, they can all refer amongst each other and they can all sort patients out without needing to go back to someone in secondary care, back to someone in primary care to then refer on. It just, it always seemed like such a waste of time, whereas mm-hmm. them all being able to talk to each other and sort out these vulnerable and high-risk patients and things it just seems like the way it should have always been done yeah definitely it sounds like it's really uh, structures clearly forming really nicely yeah brilliant so thank you so much Vish uh, for coming on <laughs> um, and thank you very much uh, everyone for listening and if you'd like to get in touch you can you can always email us or we're on Twitter and we'll leave those links on the episode description. Uh, our favourite ways of you guys getting in touch is through the survey. And thank you so much to people who use that or by the amazing comments on iTunes that we've had coming through, which have been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much to all the team. It's lovely to be able to have this platform with you all. Till next time. I'm Primary Care Knowledge Boost.
Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. This was recorded in Greater Manchester in 2021. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.